Welcome back to What the Midwife Said, the podcast about how babies and families are made. I'm your host, Leah Hazard, and I'm a mother, a writer, and yes, a midwife too. In this series, I'll be speaking to some fascinating guests about their experiences of pregnancy, birth, and parenthood. From fertility and loss, to the challenges of navigating our maternity services, to the joys and traumas of raising children in a changing world. No judgment, no shame. Just what the midwife said. Today's guest is journalist Jenny Ag. I woke up and it was the, the sort of extent of the, the bleeding and blood loss was it was obvious that you know this was a miscarriage and also an element of what's is this normal for a miscarriage? Is this um, we didn't wait. We didn't wait at that point for the appointment. We just drove to the hospital, and we were very. We didn't know where to go. There are lots of people for whom it probably is is still a taboo, and they don't feel able to to tell everybody they know, or their workplace, or um, their family, for whatever um, reasons that might be. Like I think it's wary of saying, "Oh, it's not a taboo." We talk about it all the time. When you know, I am a white, married, straight, middle-class woman with, um, you know, a job writing for with national newspapers. Like, that's very, very easy for me to say it's not a taboo anymore, but that... So, yeah, I do think it's complicated. Jenny has written for Red, The Times, The Guardian, Telegraph and more. And in her blog, The Uterus Monologues, she writes so movingly about her experience of life after pregnancy loss. Jenny, thank you so much for coming on today to speak about your journey with a recurrent miscarriage and pregnancy. I know it's never really an easy thing to talk about, but you've been so candid and so helpfully candid, I think, in your blog and your writing. And I'm sure that um, your story will resonate with so many people listening today. Maybe we could start by, just for listeners who aren't familiar with your blog and your story, if we could start by maybe going back to what was happening around the time of your first miscarriage and kind of what was going on in your life at that time? Had you been trying for a while? Had things been going well? What, how, how did the whole story begin? We'd been trying to get pregnant for about 10 months, I think, in the end, um, when I, with that first pregnancy, which, you know, isn't in the grand scheme of things, it's not, it's, it's sort of within the normal range, isn't it? But it, it felt, it felt like a very long time, um, to me as the kind of the person um hoping to be pregnant and not being pregnant and lots of friends getting pregnant around the same time and um and we felt very you know we felt very ready for it I think me and my husband Dan um we'd been married a few years by that point we'd you know we had a house in a sensible suburban area <laughs> Yeah, we were we were ready for it, and then it was just before the twelve week scan. Um, I started bleeding on the Friday, and then on the Saturday, I had a miscarriage. I don't know whether I can say it was in A and E or whether that was really just where it was diagnosed, but it was um, that first time was quite traumatic I think is the word it took me a while to kind of feel like I'm allowed to use that word but um it was quite violent there was a lot of blood loss um 
it was, in short, it was nothing how I think I'd been told to expect a miscarriage to be. It was it was a very different experience to the little bit that I knew or thought I knew. Mm. I mean, I think you are completely entitled to use the words traumatic and violent if that is how it felt to you. And I think many women who experience miscarriage would agree with you that 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 is how it feels. Do you think that there is a common misconception from people who haven't experienced this kind of loss that it's actually just another period or it's just very easily manageable at home, it's not a big deal? I mean, were you surprised by the actual sort of visceral reality of what it was like and then I guess my next question would be how was it to cope with that in an environment like any yeah I was very surprised by it um I don't know looking back if I'd ever really thought very much about what it would actually be like um I definitely would have thought I wouldn't have thought it would be that um extreme I I think that you do hear that a lot don't you that kind of oh it's it's just a heavy period kind of thing um but also what I know now is that first time um was a particular kind of experience and it it was its own it had that sort of emergency medical emergency quality to it um and that was sort of frightening in its own way but I've had other miscarriages since where it's not it's not like that at all. It's not um whereas that first time by the sort of the Saturday morning it become very obvious what what was going on. Um I've had other miscarriages where there's been a, a sort of unpromising scan and sent away for two weeks to see how the development goes and it's you know nobody's very encouraging but it's not you're not told oh this is definitely a miscarriage and it's it's just a sort of holding holding pattern really um and I've had other miscarriages where they've been diagnosed at an eight-week scan and that I, I would have had no idea before that that those were experiences um or the way that a miscarriage could play out Mm. And as you as you kind of said, you, you went on sadly after this first loss to have, um, is it four more miscarriages within the space of roughly two years? Is that right? Yeah, I've had I've had four miscarriages in oh, I had four miscarriages in, in two years. Um, the first three were very close together. They were um, within the space of a, about nine months, I think those first three. Um, and then we had a break for testing. Um, at a NHS recurrent miscarriage clinic, um, and that took that took about six months in total, I think, to to kind of have the referral. Which, to be fair, was was pretty pretty quick. They saw us really quite quickly. Um, but then the the testing, some of the blood testing itself takes kind of um, they have to do repeat the tests at six week intervals and things like that. So it it's not um and there are appointments to scan for scans and to check for various possible causes and did you find that as each loss progressed and each miscarriage each miscarriage happened 
that your interactions with and experience of the NHS changed. Tell me a little bit about what it was like with the first loss to engage with maternity services versus each successive loss and then finally engaging with the kind of recurrent miscarriage clinic. Yeah, it's a good question. Um, So the first pregnancy was, you know, was very typical of, I, I guess, most people's first pregnancy when that's you know they're excited to have a baby um I had our booking in appointment as soon as I possibly could um and was kind of counting down the days um for the 12-week scan um we had a bit of a a scare I guess is is not an ideal world word but um around six weeks I had some bleeding but that was eventually that was um decided that it that was fine there was no um there was a heartbeat and everything seemed to be progressing as it should be um and then it, the bleeding stopped after a few days so so that was all very um very normal and i kind of went along with the discussions of you know being told oh, what your next midwife appointment you can listen to the heartbeat and these sorts of things and very all very forward thinking and and looking ahead to um the pregnancy and you know be feeling very excited um and then that first miscarriage was i mean it starting on a friday was not <laughs> was not ideal um in that i had to in order to be seen at the early pregnancy unit I had to have a GP referral and so I sort of had to race home from work in London to get to the GP before they closed and they were you know they were quite um relaxed about the whole thing they kind of said oh it doesn't it doesn't sound like that much bleeding um we'll get you a scan just to see what's going on and if I'm honest I think although I was frightened at that point I probably also felt like it was going to be like it was before you know they were going to look it would be fine and then by the by the Saturday, so they booked us in for the Saturday morning, and then by the Saturday it was, I woke up and it was the the sort of extent of the the bleeding and blood loss was it was obvious that you know this was a miscarriage and also an element of what's is this normal for a miscarriage? Is this um, we didn't wait we didn't wait at that point for the appointment. We just drove to the hospital and we were very. We didn't know where to go. It was that sounds. I feel a bit stupid saying that, um, particularly as I'm a health journalist by background. But I, I had a. I felt very conscious of. Um, do I go to A and E? It was January. It was kind of the middle of a. That year, there was a particularly bad like winter flu. You know that everything was, um, people on beds in corridor. Like it was everything was. Um, that was very in the headlines front page news at the time and the the experience when we got to the hospital it was like oh right this isn't this is this is really bad and I felt very conscious of you know am I going to be turned away for being a silly woman of course you're having a miscarriage this isn't either an accident or an emergency um I didn't know if we could go to the early it was so it was all that sort of why it wasn't in my toolbox really to know what to how to deal with it or what was appropriate but in the I think in I think so we went to the we went to the EPU first and they said 
no, you're, you're bleeding too much, you need to go to A&E. Um, and they triaged me quite quickly from there. Um, and then it's all a bit of a blur what actually happened. Um, essentially, I think they examined me and I had to wait for the bleeding to slow down enough so that they could scan me in um, the early pregnancy unit. And then that was um, that was where they, they kind of confirmed the, the diagnosis. It sounds, it does sound traumatic. And from what you've described of the amount of bleeding and the situation you found yourself in, I can easily understand how you would find it quite a violent experience as well, quite frightening, uh, quite unexpected. And, you know, just as every pregnancy is different, so every loss is different. And then as you then went on to have subsequent losses, was there a palpable difference in how you were treated when you did? seek help was there a sense of oh but next time it'll be fine or um you can try again in a few months or was there a gradual sense of okay maybe something more fundamental is wrong here and we're steering you towards some more in-depth investigations um, i think so in my second pregnancy there was definitely a sense of you know no need to no need no need to worry I mean I think that those weren't the exact words used but I think um that was very much the the approach was kind of you know let's think positively um and I do understand that for for most people the next pregnancy will will hopefully be a a successful one and so you know that's not you wouldn't necessarily want people saying oh well you know it might happen again that's not a helpful (laughs) that's not a helpful thing either but um because they can't really give you any information about why it's happened um and whether it will happen again it's very hard to convince yourself that it it is just it is just bad luck you do still feel even that second time despite kind of everything um i read and everything that um people told me um yeah, I found it very hard to believe that. Um, and so then that feels like you feel you feel it's sort of slightly in conflict, I think, with the way um, the sort of pregnancy, early pregnancy care is set up because it's all very, um, I think you're expected to plan for things and to book things in Um perhaps before you feel ready to to buy into those things I remember you know you can't you can't wait to book in your your 12-week scan that's as soon as you see your GP almost that kind of that um chain of events is set in motion and I was you know very concerned we weren't going to get there um and then they were very good in that they they referred us for an early scan to try and reassure us that um things were okay I think I got to eight weeks and they um we had an early scan but that that was the one that wasn't very reassuring it was they they, actually looking back I'm not sure I understood quite the kind of significance of the situation I think I thought it was a bit of a quirk of the um whereas now I think they they must have known that it, it really didn't look good 
Um, and then a week later, I went back for for a scan, and it was it was confirmed. And I'd started bleeding, I think, by that point as well, a little bit. Um, and then the third time was sort of different again, in that I'd I'd actually signed up for a, a research trial that my friend had spotted at one of the hospitals, um, looking at early pregnancy symptoms but the the reason she suggested it to me is because it meant you got scans every I think it might have been every week and at that moment it felt like that was all that was going to keep me sane was that um yeah check being able to check in um that frequently and kind of see um kind of have that proof uh, unfortunately on the first appointment that I'd gone along to join the, the trial and um the the researcher the research fellow there um she there was no heartbeat at eight weeks and so so that was a different kind of experience of the the healthcare system as well and she was very good um uh this is a trial in a big specialist research unit um and she I think she might have it's, it's kind of um trying to remember it now but I think she might have written us a letter kind of to our GP supporting a referral to um, a recurrent miscarriage clinic. So we were lucky in that sense um, in that we knew exactly what should happen. We kind of knew, I felt like we had people kind of pushing for the, the sort of best practice and to be seen. And it felt like she took it very seriously. And when you did finally access the recurrent miscarriage clinic, uh, I can imagine there must have been a sense of being desperate for answers at that point or some kind of explanation so that you could then go ahead and maybe do things differently. Did you ever find an explanation for for these losses? Was it kind of the closure or the, you know, in any sense gratifying? No, we, um, we never got any answers, um, which is really quite common. I, I think it's about half around half of people who are referred for investigations for multiple miscarriages never get a solid answer and it's a strange thing I think when you have that third because I was aware that they weren't going to do any investigations until you'd had three miscarriages in a row um so that third one it was a strange you don't want to have a miscarriage I would much rather have that that pregnancy have continued but there was an element of relief that they were going to look into it now and again you don't necessarily want there to be something quote-unquote wrong with you but you do want something to help you do kind of want somebody to say oh it's it's this have this have this magic pill um which isn't you know that's not a, a fair expectation um on medicine so then it is its own it is its own kind of disappointment um when they said as they said to us that there's no you know all my results for various um blood clotting disorders which are the kind of the main thing they look for um all of those came back negative um everything to do with my room was fine that was um there was no possible kind of structural reason that a pregnancy might struggle um Yes, and actually that I think was that was the that was a particularly hard moment, kind of almost worse than 
after the second miscarriage, after the third miscarriage, because it was that um, it was a kind of taking away of of a kind of glimmer of of hope, really, that this was something that could be fixed. Um, and the thought of a fourth pregnancy, just sort of trusting that you know there was random bad luck before and it would be different the next time, is challenging <laughs> to say the least. Um, yeah, I I mean, I think challenging is a really fair assessment. When speaking to parents who've experienced loss, a theme that tends to come up over and over again is, is this idea of kind of waves of grief and bereavement, oh. because you're not only grieving the pregnancy that you've lost, but you're then having to grieve the future that could have been. And then when you go for more investigations, and that comes up with nothing, people sometimes speak of grieving the solution they thought was forthcoming or you know some kind of path that maybe they could have gone down so it's absolutely true that the trauma doesn't really end with the blood itself and the actual passing of the pregnancy it's something that um happens over and over again and in our culture when we experience bereavement most of the time we're able to turn to friends and family for support or even possibly to employers and we can share these things as you went through this system and as you continued to have these losses, did you talk with friends and family about what was going on and what were some of the responses that you had? Yeah, so initially it was only a few very close friends um, and my immediate family who knew. And then I think after the, it was just before the second miscarriage, I, I so I wrote about the first one, I wrote about it for a newspaper. So basically at that point, everybody knew <laughs> what had happened um and did that feel good being able to share it in that good. way so publicly it did, feel, you know. it did feel good um it felt I, I it sounds strange to say but I, I kind of did it without really thinking about it too much which is um it's actually a little bit unusual for me like I'm, I'm quite a sort of a planner a planner and um an overthinker but I I just it felt like something I had to I don't think I'd really stop to think too much about how people might react to it and actually everybody was incredibly kind and sort of perhaps things that I'd not thought about like oh is this going to be really awkward with people I work with or people I don't know that well and actually some of the conversations I ended up having with you know some like older men in my workplace who would sort of say oh you know what we went through this me and and my partner went through this and there was it was almost I yeah it was a very universally kind of understood as this wasn't a a small thing everyone understood that actually it it needed to be written about or that they sort of recognized their own experiences in it and that so that was um kind of heartening I suppose and it it takes away that element of am I making a fuss is this you know because you're told kind of um as part of that process you're told how common it is um but if you don't necessarily see that reflected in your day-to-day life it feels that's quite difficult to grapple with it feels like you're almost like being told to just get over it and get on with it um so that was really really positive um and then we hear a lot in kind of public discourse around miscarriage that miscarriage is a taboo Mm. Do you think it is really still a taboo or do you think actually we're talking about it a lot more than we think? I think it's complicated 
I think I think we are talking about it more now. I think there has been a lot more public discussion in the last sort of five years or so. Um, though I say that with the caveat of I am obviously um, like hyper aware of stories um, and conversations around it. So perhaps there's an element of confirmation bias for me there. But I, on the whole, I do think it's um, being talked about more. I think sometimes the word taboo is used almost to kind of it's a bit of a catch-all word really that it kind of covers all manner of ills like um it's almost implies if, if if we just talked about it more everything would be fixed and while I think you know that shared experience can be really powerful and healing and stops you from feeling like this is just you and your um brain being silly or you know working in ways that it shouldn't um I also think when we call it a taboo I think we're talking about some kind of unmet need really that perhaps the loss isn't recognized as we want it to or the um the sort of medical answers and information isn't there in the way that we that we would would like it to be I think that's yeah that's part of it and I think there are um there are lots of people for whom it probably is is still a taboo and they don't feel able to to tell everybody they know or their workplace or um their family for whatever um reasons that might be like I think it's wary of saying oh it's not a taboo we talk about it all the time when you know I am a white married straight middle class woman with um you know a job writing for with national newspapers like that's it's very easy for me to say it's not a taboo anymore but that so yeah I do think it's complicated I also think now that um I've had a baby I think it's talked about a lot more among women who have gone on to have children in a way that it's not talked about before that I think it's kind of missing from the conversations um, for first-time expectant mothers and perhaps for women considering having children. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if you agree. There's a happy ending to this story. Oh, yeah, sorry. And we do have a baby now. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, that's great. More than happy to introduce that at this point in the podcast. Yeah, there is a happy ending, which we'll come to in a minute. <laughs> but but no, I mean, you're absolutely right. Obviously, you're coming to this from the point of view of, of someone with various privileges and part of your job is mm. writing about and talking about things that um, maybe other people might find difficult or not know much about. But something that virtually every person has access to now is social media and Mm. over the last kind of four or five years from your um, first loss to now the discourse around miscarriage and pregnancy loss in social media I think has transformed dramatically I mean I don't know about you obviously I have a bit of a niche interest but every time I open my phone my Instagram feed is full of pictures of women sharing their stories of loss somebody crying somebody holding up a negative pregnancy test somebody um being joyous about their their rainbow baby their baby they've had after loss and in certain spheres of social media if you're somebody who's in that kind of pregnancy and birth kind of realm it's actually ubiquitous now what what do you think about this new sort of avenue of sharing i mean celebrities in particular have come in for a bit of flack about 
what some people would call oversharing about pregnancy loss. You know, Chrissy Teigen had a huge amount of flack for sharing really raw kind of intimate pictures of her stillbirth. Um, Carrie Johnson, Boris Johnson's wife, recently um, shared about having had a loss and Meghan Markle shared about having had a loss and they've been met with some positive and some negative comments. What do you think about this new explosion and sharing these stories online? Personally, I I think it's um, mostly a positive thing, and I think you only need to um, read, say, the you know the comments under when Chrissy Teigen shared those pictures. Um, I know there were some very unpleasant things said about her, but actually, if you you know if you read the comments underneath, they were almost all from other women saying, "I did this. I you know this this happened to me." It's it acts as that um, a kind of relief valve, really. I think for women to to talk about their own experiences in perhaps when perhaps in day to day life and kind of um, off screen life, they 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 don't get to talk about. Um, so yeah, for me, I think I I don't see. Sometimes I think when there's that kind of negative reaction, a I think it comes from a it's it's not really about it's not really about pregnancy or pregnancy loss like I mean mm. why Meghan yeah. Markle attracts such um criticism is a whole other whole other uh um topic but I I think it comes it comes back to that um idea of what we actually mean when we say it's a taboo it comes back to um that unmet need and I think there's almost like a it's a kind of there's something to me to my mind I think there's something quite misogynist about it it's a kind of saying oh you know this isn't a problem we've we've heard about this already it's it's kind of the equivalent of when people say oh you know she thinks she's the first woman ever to have a baby it's like the more people talk about it the more you you kind of risk that same like um belittling response to um, miscarriage and pregnancy loss it's like well that's that's true <laughs> um I didn't think I was the first woman um ever to have a miscarriage or even recurrent miscarriages um I didn't you know what in the grand scheme of things what happened to us was a fairly normal experience in the sense that you know lots of lots of people go through it that doesn't mean there aren't um things that need to be addressed around it so mm-hmm. that's and I'm sure that I mean you you shared um a lot of your story in your blog the uterus monologue and do you find that you've had really positive messages I would imagine from lots of women who've experienced losses and can identify with things that you've written about yes um yes um I do and actually kind of in that whole process of writing about it um through the blog and also in newspaper pieces and then I I have um my Instagram account as well almost invariably when I'm thinking oh you know what I should probably just stop going on about this now I you know perhaps perhaps I've perhaps people are fed up of this perhaps there's no need for this almost invariably I get an email or a message from someone asking about something or saying I've just found your blog this has just happened to me and although perhaps there's a little bit more conversation on on social media um and in particular circles i think 
even kind of five years on from um, my first miscarriage, the things that people, the way people write and describe what's happened to them, you think things haven't changed. Things haven't materially for, for kind of people going through this. Things haven't. Um, it's great that there's that conversation. And I don't, I really don't want to make it sound like I don't think that's important. And I do think um, anybody um, talking about that, it's a very private personal thing to talk about it feels quite um feels quite mean-spirited to me to criticize a celebrity any celebrity for sharing that I don't think well I I certainly do not think anyone is doing that for like manipulative personal I mean why would they why would they share it what the yeah it would be incredibly cynical wouldn't it mm. to, to imagine that that was really the the driving motivation mm, behind sharing exactly. these really painful experiences mm. um and I'm sure there'll be lots of people who are really glad that you haven't just stopped talking about it and that you do can continue to talk about it. Um, and as you've said, things haven't really materially changed since all of this started for you. You have had a happy ending. So tell us a little bit about that first before we move on to what needs to yeah. change. Okay. Um, so yes, last year, I uh, my fifth pregnancy, I had my little boy, Edward, um, who is now just over a year old it was something that we had definitely reached a point where we weren't sure it was going to happen and I think that's the um as we were talking about earlier with the the testing process I think when they come to you and say we, we're not sure why this is happening it's very difficult to obviously their their sort of words of encouragement are we think this means there's probably no reason why you can't um carry a, a pregnancy to term it's very difficult not to worry and question whether actually there's there's something else going on that means you you are going to be someone who it doesn't happen for and you know that 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 is that is the case for some people but, but we had definitely before I conceived Edward we definitely reached that place of what did we want our lives to be and you know it's a it's a big thing to to kind of put into your into your relationship and to sit with which is whether you know if children don't come along uh, if you want them what I mean what does that mean for you yeah so anyway so we we conceived Edward and it was the longest nine months of my life <laughs> I, mm, would say, I think there's a really um, valuable conversation to be had around what it's like actually to have a pregnancy after a loss or especially a recurrent loss because it's an incredibly anxious time isn't it um yes yes um and I think that's perhaps something um that's missing from the picture a little bit um because often those um often people reveal that they had a, a miscarriage or multiple miscarriages or sort of a long struggle with infertility or combination of those things often that's only revealed once someone is pregnant again or once they've had a baby and actually that's not a criticism I think sometimes that has that's the way that story has to be told because that's the only way it, it feels safe um but I think it can slightly you slightly lose that um side of things which is that it's it's an it's a lot it's a long anxious process and actually it doesn't completely end once um your baby is here I think it 
I think it's going to vary person to person and it's going to depend how long it took and all sorts of different factors but I it takes its toll I think and it shapes your experience of I mean you know my son is only a year old so what like I'm a very a new mother but I do think it shapes your your experience of motherhood um yeah I mean I think again as with any loss any bereavement it's very difficult to say if not impossible well you've had your year or you know something good has now happened to you therefore we'll just draw a line under it and move mm. on and we'll never speak of this again you know naturally it's it will be part of your emotional journey through life and it will have um that kind of ripple effect through other events and seasons in your life and I think again that's something that as midwives we're quite mindful of in pregnancy that people who have experienced losses like that will continue to carry that with them Mm. maybe that's part of the the wider discussion in society that that needs to happen not only that miscarriage is a reality but that it does continue to affect other parts of your life I think so no, that's fine. I was just going to say now that you have Edward, thankfully, and he's doing well and your mother and thriving, just looking back on having experienced NHS maternity care from start to finish over several losses and a pregnancy, what materially do you think really needs to change now for women who are in this situation, whether they're having one loss or four losses? Is there a way, is there a clear, definable achievable way that we can make things better I think there are probably lots of ways um kind of big things and small things um I don't want this to sound like a list of grievances that I that I have with, the, with a, you know with a, <laughs> no because it's a system that that it fundamentally is is kind of under-resourced and um I think there are still sort of basic things that um, it's very variable, and I notice this and continue to be surprised by this how people respond when they learn that you've had miscarriages, um, whether that's one miscarriage or four miscarriages. Um, there can be a kind of awkwardness, um, which I'm not. I've definitely sat in front of doctors um, or sonographers or midwives and sort of had them talk them through my history or been going through my notes and there's just a silence there's not uh, there's no kind of oh I'm I'm sorry or it there's just it's just an awkward silence that's happened a few times and I so I think that understanding and I don't know. I don't know how you you change that. Maybe that is to do with um, a kind of increasing literacy around the subject in society. Maybe that's all it is. Um, So that would be, it doesn't, you know, you've only got, sometimes you've only got a 10 minute appointment, like you're not going to, you're not going to be able to um, necessarily go that deep. But I think sometimes just someone saying, I'm really sorry, um are you okay or you know that that sort of thing that kind of recognition would be a very good place to start um and then I think um I think psychological support is a massive um component that needs 
what's the word I mean I should say I like I am not a um I am not qualified to redesign the healthcare system, but I think that sort of awareness that perhaps actually psychological support is needed. I mean, it was certainly needed by the after our test results, and that wasn't um, something that was it wasn't something we were pointed towards within the healthcare system. Um, I don't know whether we'd have asked for it, whether it would have would have happened but it was only um we were kind of left to our own devices on that really and I think that's the case for a lot of people and I think particularly after one miscarriage I think um there's a sort of tendency to direct you towards a support charity perhaps um and it's not I don't think it's that doctors or midwives or anybody explicitly is making you feel like it's it's not a big deal that's it's it's more subtle than that I think it just you know it's like everything with mental health we're not very good at not always very good at asking for help or kind of knowing what's available or appropriate and I think you really do need people to to signpost you towards that and almost to um it's almost like an act of giving you permission I think Hmm. I mean, it's interesting. You said there, I think you're doing yourself a bit of a disservice saying you're not qualified to redesign the health service because actually, if you're not qualified <laughs> and if women who go through the health service aren't qualified to design it, who is? You know, it's it's to use a kind of cold clinical phrase, yeah. service users like mm-hmm. yourself who use the service and who can see all of its flaws and all of its strengths. Um, so I think these suggestions and comments are completely valid. I mean, when you talk about being signposted to a more comprehensive service rather than a charity, perhaps, do you mean there should be more substantial mental health services specifically yeah, for think... bereaved parents built into the NHS itself? I think so. I think that's what I mean. Um, and there are some some very good charities that do work quite closely with um within nhs hospitals like so you know and some um some hospitals have their own support groups and things like that but that's not the um that's not kind of the standard and i think just having somebody say uh perhaps whether it's at that initial appointment or whether it's a sort of follow-up with a gp or a phone call a bit later to say you know would you like to see speak to a counsellor or a, a psychologist because you know it's it's a minefield when you're navigating it for yourself to find somebody who can give you the the support you you need and that's going to vary massively person to person but that that isn't what happens at the moment and I again I am aware of um, the kind of limits at the moment and the kind of under-resourcing this isn't but I think you know there are lots of there are lots of very compelling reasons that it should be um, con- considered. I think it has a huge impact on your your subsequent pregnancies. Um, you know, there's a lot more talk I think around perinatal mental health, but I think that tends to focus on much later in pregnancy and after pregnancy. And you know, it wasn't really discussed in my my pregnancy with Edward um and there were lots of complicating factors in my pregnancy with Edward in that I I, I moved 
um, removed areas for a, for a start just before the 12 week scan. Um, and then it was, uh, it was uh, the, the pandemic hit. So that obviously had an impact on appointments and things like that. But I think that it wasn't sort of seen as actually this needs to be built in to this is, you know, fifth pregnancy after four losses. Um, I don't know. I think the expectation that you wouldn't need some sort of mental health support, whatever that form is, I think is, I think it's unrealistic. Um, Mm. Yeah, I mean, I agree. And I think, again, as you said, the thing about the NHS, it's such a big machine that the service will be variable, won't it? And there will be certain trusts where that kind of support may well be forthcoming and there will be some that are just an absolute desert when it comes to mental health provision for for women with your history so um I think you know if there's one thing that we can aim to change and strive for it's to make that provision more consistent across the board and absolutely you know if women with your kind of history can redesign that part of the service in that way I think that's that would be of huge benefit to to many other women um and and bereaved parents and birthing parents so i mean service changes are something that i love to talk about <laughs> i could talk about yeah for days and days and days don't get me started but i think we'll we'll leave that for another podcast for another day but before we wrap up jenny um just tell the listeners a little bit about where they can find you and where they can read more of your wonderful writing uh, yeah, okay. So um, my blog is at um, the uterusmonologues.com. Um, and I'm on Instagram. I, I'm on Twitter as well, but I barely. Um, so Instagram is the place and I'm at Jenny. That's Jenny with an IE monologues um, on Instagram. Um, yeah, and I uh, put lots of links to my writing and other thoughts and bits and bobs. there that's great well i'm sure lots of listeners will take the time now to look you up and connect with you and keep an eye on what you've got in store for us in the future so thanks so much for coming on it's been an absolute pleasure i appreciate that talking about these things is never easy or enjoyable but uh i'm sure there'll be lots of people that are grateful that you're doing it so thanks very much thank you very much for having me thank you so much to today's guest jenny ag And thank you for listening to what the midwife said. If you enjoyed this episode, please do review and subscribe to the podcast. Tell me what you thought on Instagram at Leah Hazard. Tell your friends all about it and join me next time.